You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Just in case you're one of those who thinks that a Broadway or television contract is the end-all be-all, which admittedly I've thought myself, then today's episode is going to burst that bubble a bit. While Gabrielle Ruiz has found success in both, that doesn't mean her life and career haven't had hardships and heartbreaks. We have to remember that no job alone will fully satisfy us. Our careers are simply a means by which to support and enjoy our life. It isn't meant as a replacement for it. The last show I did was If Then on Broadway, and I was actually feeling lost socially. I didn't try to nourish friendships in my work. It was really just so work-centric for me, because if I wasn't working with my friends, I was too tired to be with my friends. Hello, I'm Patrick Oliver-Jones, actor, singer, and host of Why I'll Never Make It, one of Feedspot's top 25 theater podcasts where fellow creatives share with us the realities of a career in this business. The website is whyillnevermakeit.com, where you can sign up for the WinMe newsletter. It's a monthly email, so it won't bombard your inbox, but what it will do is let you know of upcoming guests, fill you in on members-only bonus episodes, and give you a peek behind the curtain of this podcast. So sign up today at whyillnevermakeit.com. Gabrielle Ruiz has performed successfully on Broadway and in television, but as I mentioned in the beginning, it wasn't always easy for her, nor even fulfilling. She had her fair share of failed auditions and feeling like she was hitting a ceiling as far as reaching beyond ensemble and understudy tracks. So in 2015, when a quirky television show came along from a YouTube personality, Gabrielle had no idea how that show would transform her life and her career. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend lasted four seasons and brought Gabrielle to a whole new level of fame and attention. In part one of our conversation, we talk a lot about that show and the opportunities that it has brought her performing career. However, we also talk about the personal trauma of miscarriage and her decision to go public with that devastating loss back in 2019. Yet there is the current joy of being pregnant again and how motherhood is the role she most looks forward to. But we start off talking about her transition from New York and the Broadway stage to sunny Los Angeles and her television career. Welcome, Gabrielle, to the podcast. This is a joy to see you, a joy to have you here. I am thrilled. Hello from Los Angeles. That's right. Hello from New York. We are bi-coastal this episode. And we're already nailing it. We're booking it. We booked it. Yeah, good. (laughs) Now, speaking of of being bi-coastal, what has your experience been like? Because you started in New York, Broadway, then you took the trek all the way over to the West Coast to Los Angeles. What has that transition been like, both for you personally, but also as an actress? When I booked Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which brought me over, it was supposed to be a two-week gig that ended up being... um, I got promoted to a series regular after my character Valencia started extending through season one. And it was like, wow, this really works, (laughs) you know? And it was really nice to have that unique situation fall upon me to get a seven year contract out of that. 
But I have because to they, say, they originally had you as a guest star, right? As a guest you, it, star, mm-hmm. and and then did they have plans to bring you on longer, or was it no. just your wonderfulness? It's just I was so wonderful, really. <laughs> that <laughs> I mean, I think it was our 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 chemistry, like me and Rachel's chemistry. Um, I would like to take it, you know, that they liked me in the role, and then um, it was a musical theater role, and so the fact that we were able to represent like Donna Lynn Champlin and me. Vinny Rodriguez, uh, David Hull, Santino, um, everybody was able to like say, hey, yeah, we can learn a song in a day or in an hour. What do you, do you need? And Hollywood was like, whoa. And so I think they found a lot of value in what we could bring to the table versus just the character development. Um, so to transition over for two weeks, I had no idea, Patrick, what a weekend was. Like a real weekend when you have a job and you're not guilty for being free on the weekend. (laughs) And Broadway, eight shows a week is five show weekends that I'm so used to. You know, it's a it's a steady nonstop momentum. Like you don't necessarily like go hard on the momentum because you got to pace yourself every, you know, for five shows. And when you take that day off on Monday to start again on Tuesday, it's just like this like pacing of yourself to get through Sunday night and then mm-hmm. relax. And I have been, I've been, I've did that for 10 years that what after a week of shooting, it was okay. See you on Monday. And I was like, what do I do with my life? Like, I, I don't know what to do here. <laughs> right. And what do people sunny. do on Saturday and Sunday? Yeah. And it's sunny here and everyone's like relaxed and resting. I, I, I it was so peculiar. Um, a new friend who I had met around the time, was actually he left Los Angeles to go do Fiddler on the Roof on Broadway. He was the one that recommended and gave me the biggest the best advice was when you're in Los Angeles be Los Angeles. Don't try to be a New Yorker in Los Angeles. You're going to be absolutely miserable. And so Wear what did that again. mean in practice? wear heels again, wear makeup again, reach out to people because you're so overly stimulated by humans on subways and you you run into people in a very different way for auditions because we're all waiting in the elevator at Pearl Studios. And it's just, you're over, you're, you're it's crowded. It's just much, much more crowded. And so in, in Los Angeles, it's a lot more isolated because you're in your car. And I'll never forget, um, I took a acting like on camera class at one-on-one studios in New York. And one of the questions with the casting director was what, what's the difference between like New York actors and Los Angeles actors in the audition room. And he was like, all you New York kids, like you bring in your life, you bring in the drama, you bring in your stress into the room because you took the subway here. (laughs) So shit's happening on the way to the subway. You're getting run over by a car. You're trying to get on the elevator. You slipped on the lobby. Like all of that shit, you know, it's like. Your pants are soaked. Your pants are soaked. I I mean, like I'm dry, 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 dry. And then right below my knee, my pants are just soaked. And so it's a different shade color color from my wrist. Yeah. I mean, I've sung Breathe in the Heights for any ingenue high belt soprano audition contemporary for ever since I did the show. And I'll never forget for um, Bucks County Playhouse, Hunter Foster's company. And I sang um, Breathe from In the Heights and I croaked. I'm coming back. I croaked. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. (laughs) And it's like blizzard outside. And like, you know, you're in Pearl or you know, Ripley and it's like blizzard snow. And I'm like, it's, it's, you just brought in all that weather. I used to like 
get to the audition studio two hours before so I could be in that space, warm up, put my makeup on, get dressed. And so Los Angeles, you get to do that and you get to like contain yourself in your car. You go to the dry bar and you get a blowout before, you know, and like you're cute and every, you know, like, and so there's a very different preparation, but there's a very different um, peripheral dynamic around you. But when you're in Los Angeles, Mm. you have to reach out to people because you will be a mole in your home. Like go and have a lunch meeting, go and out and have some dinner, go hiking. Cause like, it's so much easier to stay home pre pandemic, of course. Well, that's something that I'm finding out is really hard in the pandemic because I am home 95% of the time. I go out for groceries. Yeah. Yeah. You got, we don't do that. You basically shower, sleep and leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for the whole like 10 to 10 all day and um that that part of LA I mean that part of New York I, I miss because I don't have to go to the gym when I live in New York I have to go to the gym here and actually get some <laughs> physical action going on to like stay stay and feel good but um the New York I, I I give my lamentations and condolences to you guys having to stay home so much yeah, it's it's been tough. It's been tough. I I mean, thankfully, I have this podcast, which keeps me indoors because obviously I'm having to work on it on my computer and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, the act of going out, it's like, what am I going to go out and do? I have to make up something. There isn't that audition. <laughs> there isn't that person to go meet up with because mm-hmm. who's meeting up with anyone now? So yeah, it's been a real tough time to not feel forgotten and just kind of yeah. lost and feeling lost when I left Los Angeles, the last show I did was If Then on Broadway, and I was actually feeling lost socially in New York. I, I, my, my podcast is called What Are Friends For? And the reason Paul Levy and I have continued it passionately is that I, I learned how much I didn't try to contain, to nourish friendships in my work. It was really just so work-centric for me because if I wasn't working with my friends, I was too tired to be with my friends just too tired. And I mean, tired. Like if I tried and I pushed it, I would get sick, Patrick. Like I, you know, I just, I would have a flu and have to call out of work and I could never figure out how to do both. You know, I just, if I, I'm not the singer that when they have a cold, they can still go on stage eight shows a week. Like I tried it. (laughs) It's Uh, failed every time. (laughs) Now I'm a dancer that can dance on an injury, you know, but I, I can't sing on a cold. And Anthony Rapp once told me, and if then he was like, yeah, I just one day figured that out. I'm like, great, great. I have no idea what that means. Like, I I don't know how to (laughs) conquer that. And so with Los Angeles, there was a different chance with my work colleagues, hoping to make them friends. um, I was able to rest enough and have a break enough because in, in television world, you get paid per episode. You don't get paid per day of episode mm. shooting. And in theater, you get paid kind of per day. And if you miss, you get your, you get to like work on your work sick days. And then after that, it starts, you know, being calculated off of your paycheck. And so that was a big burden on me with if then, cause I got sick so much around the end of the, the, the run. Um, but with Los Angeles reaching out to people and having time to meet them on the account of just having time versus like, we all audition together. Let's get a margarita, <laughs> you know, at five o'clock. <laughs> Um, the, the social aspect of work here in Los Angeles really works better on my body. 
Now, you you spoke a lot about getting exercise and physicalness. Yes, the, yeah. the normal New Yorker certainly has a lot of that going on. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and I've, you know, I I will admit that this is probably the heaviest I've ever weighed, that I'm just like in the physical state that I'm like, I have never seen myself like this before. And you've been going through that for the last few months, and your body is going through changes, and it's it going is. through a bunch of different things. Making now, miracles over here, man. Right, right. Now, you're just a few weeks away from the baby coming, correct? I am eight months pregnant. I've got about eight weeks left. Wow. Technically, by, by, do, you know, by math, but at the same time, who knows what's next? I mean, Cynthia Link, another Broadway broad, uh, she also moved here. Jessica Patty also moved here to Los Angeles. And us three have stayed connected because we've all been pregnant around the same time. And Cynthia Link's baby came early and she was like, pack your hospital bag now. <laughs> She's like, just be ready. You never know. And so um, the body changing has been such a fun, excruciatingly difficult challenge in in the way that like, it's this internal workout that I don't see results like I've seen when dancing all my life or ballet bar all of my life. It's, 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 I'm gaining this weight. I'm expanding in my belly for a baby. I'm eating four times more because all baby wants for me, my baby is like strawberries, grapes, raspberries, and pounds upon pounds of cereal. Baby, like, loves continental breakfast. Like that's all baby wants, you know? And so it's, it's been um, wonderful to take on this challenge. Cause there's so, I know so many Broadway women that have done it before. And I mean, to be sleepy while doing an eight o'clock show, I just, I don't know if I would be able to do that. Hats <laughs> off. Hats off to all the women that have had pregnancies and have, you know, don't, don't leave on maternity leave until like they're really showing. It's just, woo, it's exhausting. So You've been very public with this one as far as yeah. posting on, on social media. And your previous pregnancy was also very, very public. You chose to, to be very public about that miscarriage. Mm -hmm. What was your decision in being public about that one and then being public about this one? What, what goes into making statements like that so publicly? I, When I was going through my miscarriage in October of 2019, I shared the news with my both of my like my mother and my mother-in-law um just to not feel alone I, I felt alone immediately like it was just me that was going through this that I think that was one of my, for my one of my first initial reactions um so I shared it with them to get some confidence and both of them had said oh yeah that happened to me and it was kind of like skirted away and just like didn't talk about it and also the way they said it was also in some way nonchalant and I just I, I remember it hitting me like wow first of all you never told me second of all why would I ever ask you know because I'm in my 30s you had both of them had kids like early 20s and there was such a different time and you're so different as a human being in your 20s versus your 30s and so on and so on. <laughs> so like real, the I things, guess. yeah, so the things you talk about and you share and confide in with, like, is it a secret or is it not? And it's just the secret society of women that it's um, statistically like three out of five women. But in my circles, after I spoke to my parents, both of my parents, um, I started kind of like touching base with other women around me to let them know to think about me and I'm scared and, you know, nervous about how to, how to 
you know, continue the process of completing the miscarriage and so many 4.5 out of five women in my circles, when it's actually statistically three out of five have had a miscarriage and all of them were like, yeah, it's something we do. It's something we deal with. And then I tried again. And so the amount of courage and the amount of strength, especially after the Me Too movement, especially after like Black Women Lives Matter last summer with that tipping point and how much women go through and, and what we, what we um, endure, I was just like, this needs to be shared. This mm. needs to be shared because if I felt alone and I'm not alone, that is something that I need to tell other people. And with my platforms of sharing like accountability coaching and, and great like mental health um, proactiveness, that's something I really care about, as well as like arts education advocacy, that was something that I knew really um, fulfilled me in my heart that I just wanted to complete in sharing it with others. Because women out there, if, if you feel like you're the only person or if it's your fault or if you, it, for me, it was like, we have a reset. My body's like, let's just try again. And it, it happens. It happens more than we talk about. So it, I felt like it was my duty to talk about it. And I'm curious, how was Philip through that process? What, oh. what, what was his role, I guess, to help <laughs> you through that? You know, when we went to, we, we switched doctors um, about like eight weeks in pregnancy because we, I just was not vibing with my gynecologist in the pregnancy stage. Like she was great before, but like with pregnancy stuff, I was like, mm, I'm not feeling good. So we met with a new OB that day and she's like, let's just do a sonic, an ultrasound anyway. And then she didn't, she couldn't hear a heartbeat. So she sent us back. She gave us like, I'm so sorry, this is happening. However, I don't have all of your, <laughs> all of your paperwork. We're just met. This is now bad news in some way. And I was literally going to an audition an hour later with like Hillary Duff in the room or something. And I'll never forget, like Philip and I were running lines before the appointment. And then we were forcing ourselves to run lines after the appointment and not be in this space of mm. shock and sadness and also maybe some relief. Because for me, I would rather my body reset that early versus find out about complications of my child later and having to feel like what is the rest of their life in this way you know that to me is more of a of a as a parent you know having to deal with it like a term like a, some terminal illness that's so scary like that's something that's more of a nightmare for me than a miscarriage um and he was just like Whatever he just was like waiting for my lead to decide on what to do. Like, if you don't want to go to the audition, you don't have to. If you want, let's just focus and like let's get you there. I'll drive you over there and let's just like get that done and over with. And like when we were completing the miscarriage and all those steps, he was just such a soft rock because he was so delicate with me and always reminded me that it's not my fault. Or and I kept saying, I'm sorry more that it was happening not that I failed I just I'm sorry because we're having to deal with this and he was like we are just going to try again we'll just try again and we'll get this done and don't worry about it and very very delicate and also a rock so he was like a beautiful juxtaposition of both That part of bringing ourselves into the room, you know, you talked about New York actors. We bring our day. We bring ourselves fully into the room. For you, how do you balance that I'm an actress, but I'm also a, a mother-to-be, a wife, I'm all these other personal things? What is your dividing line between those? 
I think I take have taken one at a time. They haven't all come at once, thankfully. Um, I always knew I was the marrying kind. You know, I, I, I everyone I dated before Philip, it was. I, I always had that mind, that goal in my mind to see if we were going to go that way. And even if they didn't, it was nice to know, you know, to move on. Uh, those were part of the last two breakups. It was like, you don't want to get married? Great. I'm so glad we finally talked about the truth of this. Don't entertain me that you want to get married. If you don't want to, it's fine, man. And um, got to go. And so when it comes to being like a wife and an actress, um, Philip and I have a really open dialogue about like the kind of characters I'm choosing to do, the kind of scenes I'm choosing to do um, without permission or apology. It's just like, hey, just so you know, I'm kissing Emma Wellman um, because Valencia is bisexual. And he was like, great. But he was like, I just don't want to see it on TV first and you not tell me. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Just just prep me on it, please. <laughs> just let me know what's happening. And um, I told my parents to the Southern Texans that they are that are very supportive in my work. And, as, and I, so I, I kind of like, you know, echoed that for my parents. And they were like, oh, that's so good. Thank you for telling us. <laughs> just so we're not like, wow, okay, this is what's happening. Um, very, very supportive with LGBTQ, both my parents as well. But when it comes to the parenting thing, even with the miscarriage baby, it was, I was kind of going through it, Patrick, like as a dancer first, my body's going to change. It's, and I, I had an audition around the six weeks of pregnancy that I was winded and tired, nauseated, and mm. I had to crouch down. It was a creative team that almost hired me for leading the entire sitcom. I was like second, I was like first runner up. So they were so excited to see me and I couldn't get like two sitcom jokes out, like one, two, three funnies. Like one setup, volleyball setup, lead, spike. Like I couldn't, it was easy. Like sitcom, typical rhythms. And I couldn't get it out because I was so nauseated. Oh my goodness. And I was crouching down on my heels like, just uh, give me a second. I just, uh, and I hadn't even told, I hadn't even told my, my manager knew I was pregnant. I hadn't told my agent because there's this like, stigma of like don't tell anyone because then they'll stop bringing you in which i talked to a casting a- agent uh, a casting director friend of mine felicia fasano who cast crazy ex-girlfriend she um she kind of gave me some insight she was like we can't we can't not bring you in like we can't not it's discrimination it's 100 discrimination and she's like right. even if but even if the timing doesn't work out like if you're gonna bear a child then like we might not move the time schedule for you. So that's why it wouldn't work out. She's like, but we can't not bring you in, which is nice to know, but still like as a woman who, I mean, I, I'm sure men also in the business might agree that, you know, our bodies are instrument and what we bring forward into the room, we want it to feel and look our best as best as we can with whatever's happening in our lives. And I had, I was going through it with the first baby and having that chance to restart again, like I said, um, when we had the miscarriage in the fall and then January through March, pre-COVID 2020, I like did like a 60-day fitness challenge. I wanted to get back to the Broadway bod in Los Angeles. I wanted to like feel good again and feel sprightly again and not drink so much. <laughs> and, you know, just like get it, you know, just kind of like get set, get set to get going again to try to get pregnant. So when I was pregnant, again, hopefully, I could continue to work out and feel good. Um, so I luckily got 60 days in literally like through mid-March of 2020 and shut down all the gyms and everything. And then I did an audition. <laughs> right, right. So, so 
your body was ready. You were physically there. And then nothing, nothing, no auditions. And so I started a podcast with my best friend. (laughs) No, no, like podcasting more growth in podcasters than listeners grew Mm -hmm. during the pandemic because actually listenership dipped a bit during the pandemic, but Mm -hmm. people putting out podcasts exponentially. So yeah. you 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 hopped on the bandwagon, and, and I just rode the waves. Why not? Right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I did have a pilot audition like maybe three weeks ago on Zoom, and I asked my manager. I said, "Hey, do they know my physical update?" And they were like, "Yeah, they know. They love you. It's fine." So that was really nice to know. I mean, they didn't mm-hmm. see my pregnant bump. They just saw me like right now on Zoom, shoulders up, like everyone else in the Zoom world knows, and. um it was really fun to like make people laugh again, even if it was on Zoom and not live. And uh, they went another direction with the daughter. Like they wanted the daughter to go like be older. And so they didn't think my face could be able to represent a mom of a high schooler. So I was like, well, that's youthful. good. You're too youthful. Oh my gosh, thanks. But listen, I got to push a baby out. They're shooting in May when it's due. <laughs> it's just like, it's fine. <laughs> my ego was lifted and now I can go make a baby. I can go push a baby out. <laughs> Now, later. Was, was TV a goal for you initially when you started acting or did it just kind of come along like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend did? Dancing was the goal always first. I fell in love with musical theater in college. I was a dance major for, you know, and fell in love with the triple threat idea. Um, so Broadway became the dream more so as like an understudy singer dancer versus just an ensemble dancer. Um, and that kind of happened again with television where I got a taste of it. I liked it. And so I studied it a little bit more and, um, there was like, you know, that law and order gig that everyone gets in New York, that means you made it in television. And it's, it's extremely, you know, whenever, when that person gets the tap on the shoulder, everyone's like, yeah, (laughs) you know, in the (laughs) industry, like you're doing it, man. It's It's just like that nice step, you know, it's that nice step when law and order books you SVU every, you know, just to the creative directors and the showrunners of all law and order that are listening to this podcast. We all say thank you. And yeah. I, I booked criminal intent. So I, <laughs> yes. I was like the I was like the, the lesser stepchild of the law and order franchise, yes, but still you are in the family, <laughs> but I did it. Listen, I shot a gun as a detective and I still get a paycheck sometimes more than crazy ex-girlfriend. Oh, like, can I say residuals for that stuff? Because that was back in 2011, yeah. and I am still no, getting re- getting now, residuals. Now those residuals are four dollars sometimes, but then but every now cute. and then, yeah. But then every now and then, there's like a little twenty dollar, fifty dollar. I'll take it, and it's I also can, a nod yeah. to your past of like that's when I did that, like ten years. And so, like you know, now with Netflix and everything, love you though. But at the same time, like you get paid once, and. Um, <laughs> With Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, it was just another self-tape that the agents that I had at the moment at that time were supportive, but not necessarily like, let's make waves, you know? And so my my manager believed in me more and he was auditioning me more. um, And that was the summer I booked Orange is the New Black as well as a co-star. And so it was a nice taste. Um, Again, the weekends and they have free food there. That was like also a plus. And... Crazy X was one of those auditions that, you know, you send off into the universe and this one came back and there was just great re- response. And when that happens, I think everyone can relate that when you get that bite, you go mm-hmm. for it and you don't want to screw it up. <laughs> 
there's so much nerve. I, I find nerves so much more for TV auditions than I do for the theater auditions. Now, this is this is pre-COVID. I think the camera in the room adds a little something to it. It's also mm. a little more stale because I tend to be behind some like plain background. There's just a camera. Everyone else is behind that camera and they're, they're just reading the lines like this. And then you have to say your line. And then, you know, so it's just a different atmosphere. Whereas the musical theater, there's three to five people behind the table. You know, it's just a different vibe. Mm-hmm. Did you, did you find that even the audition process was just a different nervousness for oh, you? Absolutely. A lot of my last, five years for four years in theater were the understudy of many roles and in the ensemble. Like I was a really great first replacement understudy. Um, And so I don't miss the 30 pages of material. That's for sure. And then you get (laughs) there and they're like, we're only going to do page eight through 10. Okay. Thank you so much. Which means they found someone great, but just like they're, they don't want to waste our time, but you spent all this time preparing (laughs) that some of that I don't miss. Um, I love the intimacy of television. I appreciate the peripheral audience feel of um, theater, but I'm not necessarily craving to go back to it. I can admit that. But um, again, I had a I had a very close run with I had a close chance to a sitcom, and another I had to two sitcoms, and that's kind of like this happy middle world where there are cameras, but there's also a live in there's a live studio audience. Um, I believe like even with WandaVision right now, they I read an article that they still had a live studio audience. And even if it was smaller due to COVID and they um, both the lead actors were like, I can't believe I've never done sitcoms to feel that theater energy. So there is definitely something very magical about it. Um, but I, I, I feel like it's less pressure when it's when there's a camera in the room versus a lot of people in the room for me. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I do. I I like the intimacy. Um, I don't like in what I don't like about television auditions. That's hard because as a dancer first, I always say that because, or even just like a person that's on stage that moves more around a space that doesn't change. Like in television, the angles change and things look bigger and smaller depending on the close up and the wide shot. Stage is always the same, right? Mm -hmm. Even if you have a different set or something like that part, that medium doesn't change. Um, when you're in an audition, when I'm in an audition room for television, every room is so different. The audition room, it's either in a conference room, it's in a closet feel, it's in a second yeah. casita, it's in a second casita with a kitchen nearby. And so as dancers, as, as a dancer first, I am so sp- like peripherally aware that I will watch myself to make sure I'm doing well. And then acting, that's a really bad thing to do (laughs) (laughs) to start watching yourself. Like I call it like the third eye, you know, like I will pull myself behind the casting directors and listen and watch myself. And I feel like that's my kryptonite sometimes. So when I, when I run lines with my husband, Philip, I will get a sticky post-it note and we change rooms while I run lines. So I get used to not feeling the same space all the time because then every room and every, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It just, it, it never fails. Like you can walk in with two people in a huge conference call conference room. And then they'll be like, well, we'll have you come back in an hour. And then like 30 people are in there. And then you do the, <gasps> you know, like the, you have to adapt, but at Pearl studios, Ripley, you have like at least some safety, like it's a safety zone for actors. I feel, cause we, we are familiar with the space and we can really use that space more often. You can't do that in television in Los Angeles. Yeah, and and this really gets to the the act of 
this being a business there 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 are certain things there's procedures to do there's the the business of the acting as opposed mm-hmm. to the art how do you how do you find that that balance of of enjoying you know like like dancing to me is completely art it, it feels very non-business because it's all about expression emotion <laughs> you know portraying story and character through your body whereas you know, getting behind a camera and this angle, that angle, where do you stand? That becomes more the business side of it, the marketing, auditions, you know. How do you balance both the artistic, creative passion of it and then this very rudimentary, step-by-step business side? I think coming from a salesman family, my grandfather was a farmer and salesman of produce. He's That's him right there in a, in a crop of a whole field of cabbage. <laughs> and um, he had his own uh, sales company for produce, a produce company. And my dad ran it as well. Um, and I just feel like he always said a fast nickel is better than the slow dime sometimes. And like that, I, that attitude just, I think it's in my blood. And so with my mentor, I, now you, you blend that with my mentor in college, Joe Rowan, she would always say it's show business, not show begging. And when she said that, probably my freshman year through senior year, it just stuck with me. I was like, that's exactly how I can filter my passion instead of it just being work or just being art. Because if it's one, if it's too much of the, uh, too much of one or the other, you're miserable. You're absolutely miserable. Like then you think like, what are you doing? And then people quit and then they don't under, they don't understand. Like it is this evil balance of, um, caring and then not caring. (laughs) about certain things at certain times. So for me, I I really don't have any shame (laughs) in the business side. It doesn't bother me. I actually quite enjoy it because I don't have to rely just on talent or my talent. I can rely also on the conversation, on the deal, on um, that with with pilot season. Again, I I did one uh, sitcom and I had to sign a seven-year contract literally seconds before I went to my final test. And a lot of people are like, man, that just screws with your head. That just really screws with your head. And for me, I was like, let's buy that house. Let's do it. (laughs) And it was like, it felt perfect. I think it went perfectly. Um, I didn't get it, but I just knew like my, my, I did my job. Even if ABC didn't go with me uh, all, you know, to the bitter end. That was one of those things that I had to learn. And and my agent, my agent that I had here in New York, he told me, it's like, get the callback. That is your job. If you're getting the callback, yes. we know you're doing the right thing. And yes. it took it took a while for that to sink in because mm-hmm. it's like, well, but I, I want to book it. That's that means success, right? It's like, no, if you if you no. get the callback, then you did the right thing. And then after that, it becomes a whole slew of other criteria other, as to why that you is don't out get of it. your control. My yeah. goodness, there's so much out of your control. And no matter how hard you take it when you don't get it anyway, because mm-hmm. you do care so much. But um, yeah, the business side doesn't necessarily intimidate me or I, I do love it. And I feel very lucky that when something makes me cry, even if it's after rehearsal, because I enjoyed what I did so much, that's just such a gift. That's the gift of it. I mean, we get to do what we love. We are subjective to it. We care. We take it personally. But for me, um, when I cry, either good or bad, <laughs> I... Um, I promise myself that 
I'm allowed to, I'm allowed to be upset. I'm allowed to hate what I do at the same time. I'm allowed to feel like a failure. I'm allowed to have powdered donuts and wine for dinner and then go to bed and then just try tomorrow. Just try again tomorrow. Don't try right now. Let yourself feel bad. Of course. You know, like we yeah. just sometimes don't give us ourselves that grace. Mm-hmm. Now, did you find that that business side, that marketing side, all that, did it change a lot as you went from Broadway performer to TV actress? With with social media. Yeah. And oh, live yeah, stream. I bet. I bet. Yeah. Social media and live stream was changing kind of, and technology period. I mean, um, as well as like the Harvey Weinstein thing was happening in season two for Crazy X. And we were like the first... We we were the we were part of the wave after Orange is the New Black won for Netflix for the SAG Awards, where everyone was like, "Oh shit!" Like it's not just like Modern Family anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> people that are people are winning awards and not making tons of money at the same time because all those Orange girls were still waitressing in se- like their first three seasons because it was a one time gig that wasn't being paid over and over. And so, but, but they were getting this prestige. And so they were booking other, they were able to launch their careers off of that Two things that could pay a little bit more. Um, but with, um, social media and moving to television, it was kind of this really cool opportunity for me to like, as a businesswoman to reinvent or re remodel myself. I would say that instead of reinvent, I would say remodel because, in Texas, I'm Gabby. In my dance studio, I am Gabby. And so I decided in college to stick with Gabby. And then Gabby became Gabby in New York with Gabrielle being my actual legal full mate, which actually is not my legal full name. The nurse misspelled it. She forgot the <laughs> E at the end. <laughs> so everyone thinks they see me. I'm Latina. So it's Gabriella if they see Gabby. And then like the last two years now being like a veteran, a Broadway vet in the audition room, casting director was like, is it Gabrielle? Is it Gabby? I don't know. But Gabby, come here. <laughs> that was a lot of the conversation. And like, you're not, don't, you're not going to waste your time explaining what I'm explaining right now. Cause this is the platform to explain this long, crazy story. The nuance of naming a child <laughs> and what goes into the spelling. Yes. <laughs> So I remember like second day on set of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend with our Emmy Award winner choreographer, Catherine Burns. I'm so good at yoga shoot. And she's like, do you go by anything else? Is it just Gabby or Gabrielle? Can I call you Gabby? And I was like, this is my chance. (gasps) This is my chance. Because if I'm going to, you know, revamp my website, I'm going to try to get that little check on Instagram because I'm going to hire a publicist. I have to go by Gabrielle. Like I just have to just go by Gabrielle so everyone can find me. Right. Right. And I just stood there in my yoga outfit and I was like, Gabrielle would be great. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Gabrielle in Los Angeles. And so Rachel Bloom comes over to do crazy for you. Um, So she has this huge like experience of like 10 to six rehearsals. She was like, they don't give you chairs. They don't give you water bottles in those rehearsals. Is that real? And I was like, yes, this is Broadway, bitch. <laughs> As like, I'm smoking my, my, my cigarette, you know? And um, my favorite thing, she was like, and everybody, Gabrielle, I had to correct everybody because they were calling you like Bobby or something. <laughs> <laughs> like Tony oh Asbeck is like, but- oh, and she's like, who the hell are you talking about? It's Gabrielle. And so like, so me remodeling myself in Los Angeles has been a hilarious hoot. Where every time I go back to New York, everyone's like, Gabby, 
and you're just like, yep, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone can call me Gabby. It's fine. But like, if you ask me, Gabrielle would be great. (laughs) Well, no matter what you call her, there is a light and a joy and a talent that shines through. I found it really interesting what Gabby said about this Broadway mentality, this Broadway work ethic when it comes to learning lines and music and being ready at a moment's notice to take the stage. And even though it was a television show, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend demanded triple threat attention to detail and professionalism to pull off each and every episode. And I think that no matter what project we work on, as television and film and slowly theater begins to come back and give us a chance to use our acting muscles again, that kind of dedication to our craft is a lesson that each of us could learn going forward. Well, thank you for listening to me and Gabrielle today. This is just part one of our conversation, so make sure and come back for part two when We talk about how we met in the national tour of Evita, as well as the trials and triumphs she has faced personally, and those that women in general deal with in this business. Also, don't forget to stay up to date with all the happenings and special offers from this podcast by signing up for the Win Me monthly newsletter. You also get the free ebook, Creative Wisdom, featuring a bunch of insights from past guests. All that and more at whyillnevermakeit.com. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, in charge of writing, editing, and producing this podcast. Music in this episode by Blue Dot Sessions and Vortex. Why I'll Never Make It is a part of the Helium Radio Network and a member of the Broadway Makers Alliance. Join me next time as Women's History Month continues here on Why I'll Never Make It. CFOs and controllers, there's a better way to manage cards, expenses, travel, and reimbursements. You need a unified spend platform from Brex that lets you control all your spend in one place, automate compliance, and close the books faster. Get started at Brex.com. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.